Hello, and welcome to Surviving Self-Isolation, the podcast. This is episode four. I'm not going completely mad, but maybe only slightly. <laughs> no, um, this is the end of week two, coming towards the end of week two. I think we're all going a bit crackers. So in episode two, I sang a very haunting song called The Government Is Taking Control, and... Um, I've heard some admiration for this song, so I've decided that it would be a really good idea for me to record a second track. <laughs> so I've spent all day on this, uh, I've done the humming and the tweeting and the clearing my throat, <laughs> and I am ready to sing my song that brings us all together in these dreary, desperate times. And it's called Let's Get Together. Let's get together when this is all done. Let's get together when we don't have to shun each other anymore. I'm so lonely, can't leave the house. The police stopped me, can't walk a louse. I'm so lonely, don't have a spouse, except for that scratching that is a mouse. Let's get together when we are free. Let's get together and hug a tree. Holding hands as the sun sets. Turn off our video headsets. Turn to one another, support one another, but until we're free to be anything we want to be, we can't be. very moving if you think you'll agree I mean I just think it completely epitomizes the feelings that we're all going through and struggling with but I want you to all know that I'm here for you in any way that you need me just send me an email survive self isolation at gmail.com I've got my patreon if you want to support me and be my shelter very much appreciated you could just send money direct to my PayPal I'll it's survive self isolation at gmail.com. So, something I've noticed this week, it's uh, as I said, the end of week two, is that I think we're all going stir crazy. I don't think we're built to suffer from being under house arrest and deprivation for this amount of time. We're a dynamic, globalized society now. You know, we need things to post Instagram. And there's only so many times you can post a picture of what you've been eating, what you've been reading, what you've been watching, your feet to sell. 
before it wears on you. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen the same tweets over and over again in my timeline. Uh, you know, pictures of animals doing jumps, hops and skips, doing all sorts of mad things before you sort of go, enough is enough. I want out. I just don't think that um, we can hack it. I think I think it makes us do really stupid things. I think it makes us think that we're really talented in areas that we're not. I think it feeds self-delusion um, because we can block and filter out all the people that say that we're rubbish. I think it um, feeds paranoia and agoraphobia, obviously. I mean, there's uh, nobody's actually. This is somebody else that nobody's thinking about, and yet again, it's me thinking about them. Is anybody thinking about the agoraphobics at this time? I mean, from their perspective, it's brilliant. They don't have to leave the house. They're in fact encouraged not to leave the house. But you know, maybe they don't want to. Maybe the reason they want to stay in the house is because everybody else is telling them to get out of the house and now they're sitting there thinking well now you're telling me I want to stay in the house and I've got to stay in the house and I can't leave the house I want to get out and go for a run in fact I want to go past the end of my drive and the back of my garden and I actually want to go traveling I want to get on a plane or a train or an automobile and go and see the world and I can't do it now has anybody thought about those no because I tell you, the moment um, the weight is lifted from our shoulders and we're allowed to run free again and everything's allowed to get back to normal and all these millions of people are now going to be doing job searches simultaneously, all these agoraphobics again are going to fall to the wayside because they will then cease wanting to get out of the house and will want to stay back in. So what are we going to do about these people? What are we going to do? Please send me your emails at surviveselfisolation at gmail.com. Uh, one thing that's happened um, with all the live TV, well, most of the live TV, there's the stuff where you watch them, you know, on panel shows, but they're all six foot away from each other. And there's only two of them instead of four. And the, the BBC News, they're not sitting next to each other on the, the sofa, they're sitting a mile apart and so on and so forth but the, the actual dramas the soaps have been cancelled and I mean I don't watch them so I don't know they might still be on the TV but they're gonna run out of footage soon that they can't like put this put the stuff on but um obviously loads of things have been cancelled Glastonbury's gone Eurovision oh Eurovision we talked about Eurovision before I won't go over it the Olympics is stopped um Wimbledon anything that's live action um and live performance is done now for this year it's all gonna happen next year so um, at least we'll all be able to celebrate then. Ooh. Uh, maybe I'll be on at Glastonbury. I'll let them know. I might be able to get on. Uh, I might be able to get on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. Um, I mean, if that is a possibility, I shall um, completely rehearse, completely get myself fighting fit. I will have twelve songs. Is that an album now? Maybe eight, eight to twelve songs, all about Corona or love. My love of Corona. I don't know. Anyway, that's too far ahead. I don't believe in borrowing trouble. So, um, when I'm on the stage at Glastonbury, I shall do a special video for my patrons. But anyway, the point I was getting to before I went rambling on is that because there's no live TV and they've got all these empty schedules, there's just these old repeats. And the biggest 
perpetrator of this repeat business where they aren't investing in any originality at all is the news because all they've got is the same old show of coronavirus the facts coronavirus your news you know there's nothing new on there's nothing else happening in the world apart from coronavirus and and so i haven't had any news i don't have a clue what's going on in the world anymore because what's the point watching the same old program over and over again i mean i've got youtube for that i think if the news doesn't get itself back into shape very quickly everybody's going to start questioning why they pay their license fees for constant repeats and for once i don't think i can blame them one of the things that i've been doing to entertain myself is looking up my old memory sticks which i have filled with projects that i started writing and didn't finish but one of the projects i started writing was a series of short stories set in a universe where a woman was talking about her missing husband and the weird place that she lived in and maybe her husband's disappearance was connected to it and so i thought um, as well as offering um, magnificent music to you i am now going to offer you magnificent literature how we met by christina dara i met my husband at work at merrifield hall it had always been a tradition that whoever had worked the night shift at Merrifield Hall for the ghost hunt had a room reserved for them at the hotel. These ghost hunts went on for hours. The group would get a three-course meal at the hotel first, then go over to the house and hang around taking photos and recording video of one of the empty rooms until around four o'clock. Well, by that time you are ready for bed, not driving home. So a room was very welcome news. Trust me, I have done too many of these nights to count. That reserved room is a godsend. It was in fact my first night working a ghost hunt. I'd worked at Murrayfield Hall for a few months but never overnight. In fact, I'd never been up so late before in my life. It was killing me. I didn't think I was going to make it. But I wasn't alone. I was with the manager of Murrayfield Hall, a man called Dave. I learnt a lot from him. It must have been around three o'clock in the morning. The group had settled themselves into various rooms with their cameras and voice recorders and they had about an hour to go before we were going to close up the house and send them to the hotel. Whenever you run one of these things for a certain amount of time you begin to notice that the group always splits into different types of people. There are the believers those that are convinced that they will find something paranormal here and they buy all of the equipment and read up on everything they can to do with the area and any potential ghosts and there are those who see it as a night's entertainment something to blog about for that week we do get quite a lot of youtubers now and then there are those that are married to the true believers and just come along with their partner mr smith i'll call him that because i can't remember his actual name was there for his wife, who was a dedicated ghost hunter. She spent the evening talking to the passed-on spirit of Henry Francis, trying desperately to convince him to make some sort of sign, which he never did. Several times throughout the night, Mr Smith had crept out to enjoy a cigarette in the car park under the full moon. I can't say I blame him. 
If you're not interested in it, long night vigils are quite draining and I remember it being a very lovely night in late July. Not too hot and not too cold. When he came back in and told Dave that he had seen a dull light coming up the road towards him and as he watched a smartly dressed woman on a bicycle crying her eyes out had rushed past him. Mr Smith had called out to her, Are you all right, love? But she just kept on going as if he hadn't spoken. Dave and Mr Smith went out to see if they could see her in the road, but she was gone. Dave came back to see if I'd be all right on my own while he drove up the road to see if he could find her. He wouldn't have left me normally, but Mr Smith was adamant the lady needed help. Why would a middle-aged woman be wandering an unlit country road at nearly three o'clock in the morning if she wasn't in trouble? They came back nearly half an hour later without her. Mrs Rose MacDonald was living in the area during the Second World War. She was regarded as a worthy lady, kind and attractive to look at, the perfect doctor's wife. Her husband owned a practice in Birmingham, but they lived locally and he was the family doctor to the tailors. And it was Dr MacDonald that recommended to Gerald's mother the golf course in Scotland that changed his life. She was a regular sight on the country lanes at the time, seen on her bicycle riding around visiting for local families and volunteering. The MacDonalds did not have any children, so most of her time was spent working with the many groups that had sprung up during the war feeding the elderly and knitting balaclavas for soldiers. Until one day, Dr MacDonald came home to find his wife not there. His tea was not cooked, the washing was still out on the line, and their pet dog was desperate to go out into the garden. He checked for any notes that she may have left him, but there was nothing. All he knew there was that she planned to attend a church meeting and then go into town to see if she could do some shopping. She should have been back hours ago, and if she wasn't, something was wrong. Searches were made, and it was found that she had attended the church meeting, had jumped onto a bicycle to return home before catching the train into town. The route she would have taken was checked twice, and no trace of her was found. Dr MacDonald was beside himself. There was no reason for her to leave him, their marriage was in good shape and both were happy in their respective jobs. Inspector Keeling noted in an interview about the case at some point in the late 1970s, just before his death, that he knew the doctor was innocent of any foul play concerning his wife. I'll read you an extract from his interview. I knew early on that he had nothing to do with her going missing. I didn't speak to him at first. It was a uniformed officer that did that got the details of her last known movements and all that. I was called in when it was clear there was no trace of her near Merrifield Hall and Taylor Manor. I was told to look around at the places she was going to visit in Birmingham City Centre, and it became clear that she had never got the train that day. She was a well-known lady, and no one remembered seeing her for a few days prior to her disappearance. So I went back and spoke to her husband myself. He'd been driving up and down the roads he thought she could have gone down, and when he ran out of petrol, he took to walking down them with his dog. It was down one of these roads that I caught up with him. I tell you, I've never seen a dog happier to sit down in my life. The little thing fell asleep on the back seat straight away. I took him home and made him a cup of tea because he wasn't capable of it. He was a wreck of a man. I asked him some questions, the unpleasant ones, you know. 
Have you another woman? Had you argued? You know what I mean. But he was adamant that they were doing well, denied everything, insisted that she had been in some sort of accident, and we should be looking in ditches and hedgerows. I believe that could be true. The amount of people run over during the war was unbelievable. But there was no trace of her. So I pushed him and pushed him. Could she have had a lover? Could she have run away? He finally exploded and shouted at me. I thought, you've done it now, Keeling. But he calmed himself down and said to me, Look, she may well have wanted to leave me for another man and just gone. She may have left me with only the clothes she stood up in. But I know she didn't leave me of her own choice because she would never have left the dog behind and she would never have left him starving and desperate for a piss. At that moment, I knew he was telling me the truth. You see, that dog was her baby. They couldn't have their own and she spent all their love on that little dog. You know the truth when you hear it, don't you? Later, a young salesman from Bournemouth reported to the local police station that he had come across an anxious-looking woman who was riding her bike along Church Lane towards Murrayfield Hall. He was worried enough about her that he decided to stop his car just ahead of her and to see if she was okay. She caught up with him and he asked her if she would like a lift. She replied that she just seemed to have lost her way and that she needed to find her way back to Church Lane. This confused the salesman as he believed himself to be on Church Lane and he told her so. He later told the policeman that she decided to retrace her steps and he decided to carry on the way he was going. So they wished each other a nice day and as he drove off he saw her in his rearview mirror riding up the road. The salesman reached the end of the lane and saw the signpost show that this was indeed Church Lane. He decided to turn back, find the woman and tell her she was in the right place and that he could drop her home if she needed him to. She did look frightened, you see, and he couldn't forget it. But he couldn't find her. He drove up and down the road and she was gone with no sign of where she could have gone to and being worried enough about her, he dropped into the police station to ask the beat bobby to keep an eye out for her. I know what you're thinking, and you're right. When asked for a description of the woman, the salesman described Rose MacDonald completely, from her hat down to the shoes she was wearing. She had even told him her dog would be waiting for her. She had even told him her dog would be waiting for her at home. So why am I telling you this? because the salesman popped into the police station four years after Rose went missing. Why did he wait four years before seeing the police? He didn't. As he left Church Lane, he drove for a few minutes before coming across the station on his way into town and decided to ask them to keep an eye out for the distressed woman. The woman that Mr Smith saw riding past Merrifield Hall was described as a smart woman in a suit, wearing a hat, speeding along the road on her bike, looking terrified. Then there was the woman in the 1980s who, in attempting to avoid hitting a smartly dressed woman riding her bike, crashed her car into a tree and wrote it off. Then there are the many golfers that have seen her as they reached the seventh hole and the psychic medium that has recorded a video of himself communicating with her 
and begging her to pass on to the other side. When they heard about it, the ghost hunters were beyond excited. They all started walking up and down the road, calling out for Mrs MacDonald, taking photographs of everything in case they saw orbs. Screams for silence were followed by someone asking her a question and then recording the silence for an answer that would only be heard upon playback. Eventually Dave and I told them we were closing up the house and to get all their stuff. If they wanted to haunt the roads themselves they could, but we were going back to the hotel and our beds. It was just after six o'clock in the morning when we finally got them all packed up and into the hotel. I had never felt so ill in all my life. I don't know how night shift workers do it. I remember later thinking that I must have looked terrible. Sam arrived at the front desk when we were telling the receptionist that we would just have breakfast and go straight home, not to worry about our reserved rooms. He sometimes taught golf to the guests and was in the hotel for a seven o'clock lesson. He seemed to know Dave quite well and invited himself along to join us. We told him about the ghost hunt and the mysterious Rose MacDonald. He said he had never seen her, although he did travel around a lot for golf competitions, but that he would keep an eye out for her and maybe walk her home. I still dream about him every night. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little story. If you would like to hear more, you can send me an email at survive self-isolation and I shall do some more audiobook recording for you. But that is the conclusion to episode four of my Survive Self-Isolation podcast. I hope you're surviving well. Uh, please uh, like, subscribe, share the podcast uh, on whatever medium that you are receiving it. Please take care of yourself. Thank you for listening and goodbye.